Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Prospect Magazine's podcast, Headspace, now in its new weekly format. We bring together prospect editors and experts pushing the question, what's the big idea? I'm Tom Clark, editor of Prospect, and today we welcome Shami Chakrabarti, the legal expert and labour peer, whose new book of women argues that the greatest human rights abuse on the planet is still the way that men treat women. All that child rearing, all that caring, all that cleaning, all that cooking, which of course is economic activity because, because economies would not sustain without it, is just not counted as economic activity. It's a sobering book, she says, but the great gender injustices of our time still dog us. While gender injustice might be disturbingly prevalent, she argues, there's plenty we can do about it if only we had the will. Um, Shami, thank you very much um, for joining us. Um, And also in the studio, we've got Anne Perkins of The Guardian and Samir Rahim, who's uh, Prospects Arts and Books um, editor. Um, Shami, first of all, let's just... um, talk about the the timing of the book um in a way it couldn't have been more fortuitous could it because gender's um like always with us it's always a talking point but my god it has been in the last month or two well there have been some flashpoints recently but I think the issues are deeper um than the flashpoints and 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 the question is are we going to take advantage of the, the flashpoints not just for a momentary campaign or podcast or or um or red carpet um, intervention? Are we actually going to um, to learn from the present and the past and prioritise gender justice? Not just for, for women, by the way. It's not just about how men treat women. It's about this gendered world and about what it does to um, to women and to men, to, to boys and to girls and, uh, and to, to everyone on the planet. Um, and you used the phrase there, what do you say, red carpet um intervention well i mean we're meeting are we not the the day after the baftas yeah so we've had lots of interesting comment i've noticed in the in the media about who wore what colors to um to the baftas and i have no problem at all with you know something as um eye-catching as you know let's all wear black together because we're we're making a stand against sexual harassment but 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 what I want is for us to think about um not just the women on the red carpet but the women cleaning other women's carpets not just the women in the boardroom at the at the top tables of power but also the women cleaning those tables building those tables I want us to think about this as as the social and economic as well as the civil rights issue Mm. that it is and, and a whole system 
of um, of inequality um, and, uh, and an international abuse as well. Yeah, I mean, all of that, the fact that it's social and economic as well as what yeah. you might call cultural and, and a doggedly and for me, for international me, For me, that's incredibly important because um, for me, that's why I was able to approach a book like this at this stage in my life because I don't think that... I mean, some people approach women's rights as if they're a sort of niche single issue almost um, apolitical or non-political. Um, and, and, and I'm, you know, I'm, goodness me, I, I spent many years in a cross-party, non-party civil liberties campaign. And I think that in relation to civil liberties, that way of working was um, and is incredibly important because all Democrats to the left and the right should surely agree that, that torture is a bad idea and free speech is a good idea and there should be some real um, perennial consensus about that. But, but my view is that, and I say this in the book, and it's the basic, it's the basic starting point for the book, that I believe that gender injustice, in, in numerical terms at least, is the greatest uh, human rights abuse on the planet. But as you, as you said, it's social and economic as well as civil and political, and of course cultural and so on. And you cannot attack it without, without doing so in your economic policy, in your foreign policy, in things that are hugely political. So it's not, you know, it's not a nice little dinner party conversation it's it's it, much more radical solutions are are required and it's also not what i might call a kind of color supplement type um yeah. argument about i don't know hair removal or whatever it is that often you do get in discussions of look i don't want to belittle anybody's contribution to the debate but 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 it's about tax and spend it's about austerity it's about foreign policy it's about war and peace it's about it's it's, it's about mainstream politics um and it, and it, it's just it, it's not and, and sometimes people talk to me as if this is a nice little spare time project for me um in addition to politics whereas for me my feminism is completely indivisible f- from my politics and i think it has to be about mainstream politics and i think it's that's more important now than ever um i was interested in the, what you said in the book about the way um feminism is a debate that men have to get involved with as well and not just um it's not just women talking to each other or um and i wonder what kind of changes do you think that men and male dominated societies Every society, as you uh, describe in the book, need to adjust uh, in order to, uh, to to make gender parity a reality. Well, for example, uh, well, well, the first thing to say is that um, is that patriarchy. Welcome to patriarchy, by the way. My name is Shami, and I'll be your server this evening. And I'd like to tell you about our specials. But, but no, the, the the serious point is that this gendered this gendered universe is really bad for um, lots of men as well. Look at suicide rates of young men in particular. Um, that's in prison, out of prison, um, in that's the military. That's in violence. That's in roads. Exactly. I mean, I mean, so so you have differential um, differential injustices and abuses. But I don't think that the, the status quo is particularly good for for young men in particular either. So so what are we looking at? We're looking at an incredibly structurally unequal world with gender used as the badge. Um, for, for for that and with others too by the way and you know class and race and region and all sorts of other factors will, will play into this um let's let's be clear about that but but if you look at something like equal pay which has become uh, a major issue though um though we have the you know we have perhaps more debates in the British media about highly paid uh, media people than we do about the people cleaning their studios and offices but nonetheless transparency 
in pay at the BBC, for example, has got us so far, but not far enough. Because at the end of the day, why should it be left to an individual woman like Carrie Grace to take on her employer uh, by negotiation or ultimately going to a tribunal? You know, how many women are going to be able to do that in their lives? And it's one thing for a seasoned senior journalist to do that. But what about someone who's cleaning in a hospital? So what we need in addition to transparency, and by the way, I think we should have transparency all the way down in relation to equal pay. What we need is sanctions and not sanctions for an individual to take to the tribunal, but sanctions that that, uh, but reporting and um, auditing you know, if the if, for example, the inland revenue or company's house auditors is inspecting your books as a company for other criteria, why shouldn't they be inspecting your book, including yours, Tom, here at Prospect? Why shouldn't they be doing an equal pay audit every year as well? And why shouldn't they be leaving directions to the company directors as they do on other regulatory matters? I think something like that would give teeth to equal pay legislation of a kind that we haven't seen in recent years. Shami, I tell you something that always that always really worries me about um, about focusing on feminism, and I, and I think you've kind of hinted that it worries you as well because you said it's not, you know, feminism is 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 integral to your politics. But it seems to me that you have to talk about class. Mm. And I remember, um, you know, when equal pay came in, I don't remember it that well, but I do. But you know, the the, the point is that a minimum wage would have done much more to lift the pay of women because women are were then and still are the lowest paid people and or uh, non-paid people or I mean there's a non-paid. long tradition and, and just to, to, to follow on from what you said there's a long tradition of feminomics for want of a better word you know that, that goes back into the last century um you know women saying that so much work that is done by women just doesn't count in the orthodoxy of economics as economic activity. All that child rearing, all that caring, all that cleaning, all that cooking, which of course is economic activity because because economies would not sustain without it, is just not counted as economic activity. But I, I think radical left economics does um, weave feminism into its bigger, um, into its bigger argument. And, and I wonder if by making the argument about feminism, particularly because there's always a risk that you end up alienating some men, that you that the, 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 the case should always you should always be looking to expand the argument so that it embraces the you know wider mm. political issues. As well, well, I try to. I, yeah. I, you know, yeah. I, I try I to it. I try to um, in this book, but at the same time I'm not going to I, I don't it's a tricky one. Mm. I think you. I think you identify a, a, a tricky issue. Uh, another tricky issue is the tension between being concerned at what you're doing in your own backyard and being concerned the world over. So if you write, so if someone like me has the audacity to write about women in Africa, um, you know, someone will say, "Who the hell are you to talk about the experience of, of, of women in, in in Africa and their issues still with?" Um, you know, um, infant mortality and dying in childbirth and, you know, these chronic, chronic life and death issues that women are facing every day. Who the hell am I? But and, and to some extent, I understand that. But if I'm not prepared to give a concern for those women, in, including their exploitation by British and international companies in the supply chain, etc., etc., um, then just to concentrate on me 
and concerns about equal pay in, and the treatment of women in Westminster feels uh, feels a little bit too um, introspective. Um, um, so, and also to, to to judge them without judging myself is is wrong as well. I don't think that you can do anything. Um, other than be international in outlook and and because because the challenge is international the world is shrinking and it's interconnected and I think um, these injustices are are, are are truly economic and I've called the book of women but I've said because everyone because all men are of women too and and I hope that some of the the things that I suggest would be just as beneficial to men so for example I argue that um, in lots of parts of the workforce it should now be possible there should perhaps be um, an amendment to the Equality Act that allows positive discrimination to the point of quotas in certain parts of the economy. Now, I believe that there would be chief constables in this country who would be delighted at the possibility of being able to take um, specific numbers of um, BAME recruits, men and women, in order to have uh, a better police force that better reflects the, the community being policed. And that would apply to you know to men and women. I believe that there would probably be some head teachers in primary education, in particular in this country, who think it would be very very good for um, lots of little girls and boys in a very feminised sector to be able to recruit some young male teachers, because you know because of a social stroke business need. And then I think in other areas of the economy, perhaps in in boardrooms. Of, of corporate power, perhaps in the judiciary, I think that affirmative action of that kind should be required because of the legitimacy issues for a temporary period, as allowed by seed or just to kickstart change. Are you um, much um, energised by this um, debate that's sort of really taken off in the last three or four years about trans? I mean, I'm sure you have a sort of some general human rights. Um, well, I will. I mean, I do that, talk about this a little bit in the in the first chapter of the book because I think you know in 2018 you can't really publish a book called Of Women without it, um, dealing just a little bit with what it is to be a woman, if I can put it like that. Um, and I won't give the game away, but but you're quite right. I I, I look at this um, subject from a human rights perspective. But do you think? I mean, I, I'm I'm struck by relatively the pro the proportion of um people even now who would identify as transgender is quite small but like one of the issues we're dealing with in the current um uh, magazine has been all about free speech and how dominant the language of trans and what people do and don't say is on on uh, campus and i wondered do you think that's telling do you think that's because people feel um, well, I, I oppressed by their genders? Well, I think people do feel oppressed by their genders, and that's uh, 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 whether they articulate it or not. I think that the gender normative stereotyping, whether it's pink and blue clothes in the nursery, and and so many other expectations on on men and women are oppressive. I think. And being a bit, a bit. But, I suppose what I really mean is, to a lot of people outside of universities, it sounds a bit bonkers that people end up talking the language, of, arguing about the language of trans so much. But you think actually it might be justified because of universities should be places of of debate. Um, I would just like people to be a little kinder to each other when they have that debate, and that would be tr that would be true. I would be saying this whether we're talking about you know international politics, uh, gender politics, left right politics. I you know I'm all for passionate and heated debate I just um 
I just think I'd like it to be, you know, vaguely respectful, particularly when putting it, people are putting their, their personal identity on the line. I think there's, there's room and a requirement for greater sensitivity, not less. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? You were talking earlier about um, affirmative action. Yeah. Um, the law is quite an interesting area, which I'm you know, interested to hear your thoughts. And we interviewed Baroness Hale a few months mm. ago in a long profile, and she talked about how um, in her early days, and in fact, some of her recent days, she uh, uh, you know, is regularly patronised and, um, and has had um, some difficult conversations with um, overwhelmingly male judges. But well, I, I, mansplaining is bad enough. What, what's, you know, what, what must judge-splaining or wig-splaining <laughs> be like? It must be excruciating. But I wonder whether we're, when we're arguing for you know, gender parity, say, among judges, um, is it because we think we'll get a better quality of judgment if a woman is judging a certain case dealing with no, I mean, issues, I, look, or is it just a matter of its fairness needs to be equal? I believe that a man is very well capable of doing justice to a woman and vice versa. And I cite, um, I, I cite in the book the story of how marital rape was finally outlawed in this country. In the late 1980s, 10 years into a conservative female-led government, it wasn't the House of Commons that, that, that did this. It was essentially white, posh, privileged male judges that did it, and, and good for them. It isn't essentially a question about um, us being unable to empathise with each other or indeed to do logical justice for each other. I think ultimately it's a question of legitimacy. Now, it's not, you know, I I don't go in for this political nonsense about who do the unelected judges think they are, enemies of the people. We've seen this from politicians of left and right in my adult lifetime. We've seen it from newspapers, and it's toxic and it's dangerous. But but that kind of narrative is not um, is not best combated by a judiciary that looks so different from too many people in this country and you know it, I mean what's the problem I mean Bre Brenda Hale Baroness Hale of Richmond is an extraordinary woman and a, and, and a brilliant judge but we don't measure equality by the geniuses who make it to the top table equality you know we could we could do with a few mediocre women because there have been plenty of mediocre men frankly in in these positions uh, 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 over the centuries I think I think it would be good for legitimacy and it would be good for role modeling um, and yes, sometimes in some areas of the law, it would help decision making because sometimes the experience of having lived as a woman and walked as a woman uh, in, in the world would make a difference. But mostly my argument is it, it is one of legitimacy. And, you know, there are now two women in the Supreme Court. And for most of the last decade, there's just been one. What's the problem? Is it because law books are so heavy that women are struggling to get... I, I really don't think so. There is no justification. There is no decent justification that I have ever heard. Ultimately, the excuses are rather embarrassing. The interesting, the interesting thing is that Brenda Hale supports uh, positive discrimination in uh, the Labour Party and in politics, and she supports it. She spoke approvingly at a lecture I heard her give uh, just last week about uh, the way the church has given itself the power, Anglican church has given itself the power to make women bishops send them straight to the House of Lords until they've got parity there. But she absolutely won't have positive discrimination in the courts, and I cannot see the rational argument for it. And... Um, particularly because she makes a very strong and powerful argument for the lunacy of uh, 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 
believing merit can only be defined in one way, which is the reason why um, she gives, the, that's the uh, explanation she gives for, uh, for not allowing positive discrimination, because she says you've got to have merit. And there's lots of research that says I think that merit is a very loaded phrase in yeah. well, so no, many areas. She like, thinks so too. That's yeah. what I don't understand. Well, I mean, about we, her, her we, position, but we, we disagree. We 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 disagree. Um, and and it's not often that I would have the audacity to you know to, to disagree with um, with, with Baroness Hale. But I think the Labour Party all women shortlist um point is an is an interesting one because yeah. it has made such a difference. It gave you a sort of step change, didn't it? It really has. It. I mean, that's the. I mean, of course, left-wing men are all wonderfully um, progressive, and there isn't a, there isn't an ounce of misogyny. That no, no. But seriously, though, this this, this all women shortlist um, um, a policy has made it such a difference. That is the reason why we have more women um, uh, in the House of Commons under the Labour banner than all the, the other copied it, didn't all they? the other women, uh, all the other parties put together. And and therefore, we now have a fifty-fifty uh, gender balanced cabinet, and and so on. I think that's that's incredibly important. Um, shadow cabinet. Yes. You mean not the cabinet? Is oh, it? look at me. It's, you know. Well, there you go. Um, so, but let's just talk about wishful thinking. Let's just talk about Labour, though, because um, as you know, um, a large number of Labour MPs have complained that they think it doesn't work for women very well. The Parliamentary Labour Party, and somehow the, 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 we've had arguments about you know a man stealing the microphone from a woman at some internal. Um, function. The party represents, you know, the world, and the world, as I argue in this book, yeah. is a very unfair place. But I still say that um, that all women shortlists are very, a very good part of the antidote because there's nothing like getting a critical mass of women in there. I don't believe that the Labour Party is more misogynistic than other parties. That said, if you call yourself the party of equality, you have to judge yourself by higher standards. Mm. And so I'm quite happy to take higher standards and to, to be held t- it to account It doesn't need to be misogyny, this. though, for, um, for attitudes to be so entrenched that, um, you know, L- Labour has yet to, yet to produce a woman woman, a woman leader. leader. Well, look, I mean, I've, you know, I'm... I've I've said this before. I think that um, when the time comes, that, that the next leader of the Labour Party uh, has to be a woman and, and will be a woman. And I say that, and, I, and this relates to the all women shortlist point because I think we've now got to a point when there's literally going to be no reason why not, mm. because there's such a critical mass of women in the PLP in the shadow cabinet, and they're so diverse. I mean, so it's every generation is covered by women. Every region is covered by women. Every strand of thought in Labour Party politics is represented by very able women. So there's, li- there's literally n- no excuse now. But you do have, don't you, um, quite a large number of um, women, many of whom might disagree with Jeremy Corbyn and all sorts of things, it should be admitted, but sort of suggesting that something's gone wrong um, with the way that the party's dealing with gender at the moment. So think of... Claire Cobo's just gone out as the leader of Haringey Council and said, you know, part of this was she was hounded in a misogynistic way. Are, are you really maintaining that, um, you know, despite um, the huge change in the nature of the membership, despite, um, uh, you know, the, the increased volume of stuff on social media, that um, Labour's still getting consistently better than it used to be what i said what i'm maintaining tom uh, and what i've said is that i believe that getting a critical mass of women in any organization is key 
and having half of the PLP is a great step forward. Um, and we're not quite at half yet, but we are on course for being half at the, at, after the next election, whenever it comes, and that is because of all women shortlist. Now, in relation to um, the nature of debate and behaviour, and we've talked a little bit earlier in the context of, of, of trans debates about about civility in politics and I would like to see more civility in politics and that would have a beneficial effect on um, on all sorts of de debates and all sorts of people in the meantime um, in, in in the meantime if, if, if labor women are speaking out that's a good thing um, and frankly I'd like to see all women speaking out uh, whichever party whichever workplace, um, and that's uh, and that's the way that we that we make progress. But it's not enough to speak out. We we do need the structural the structural changes as well. And I you know I want us to do both. So, but you don't think there's any specific problem in Labour now? You think it's more? No, a... no, no. There's a there are huge problems but in it's the shared with there other are... structures and workplaces. What, what, do and... I do I think the Labour mm. Party is more misogynistic than the Conservative Party? Mm. Are you joking? <laughs> is is my answer to that? Mm. But this is not a com. This is not. I'm not prepared to weaponize this. I'm not prepared to compete um, for this because I want us to have no misogyny, no sexism. I want I want every woman and every person in the Labour Party to feel that whether they win a debate or lose a nomination or whatever it is, that they were heard um, well and treated with civility. That's what I aspire to. But 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 in terms of gender injustice, having the critical mass is a great is a great leap forward but there's obviously there's obviously more to do i mean i wonder just making it more general point you know we have there's a sort of you know, conversation between men and women there's a sort of battle of the sexes there are sort of discussions about the way the way men and women interact are often um you know they're deeply personal they're to do with sort of the way cultural shapes our feelings and we shape culture um and I wonder whether um, how much legislation can do to affect these attitudes and whether it's actually more about people actually revolutionising the way they see I don't the other see gender. a battle of the sexes at all. I completely disagree with your, your analysis, if I may, if I may say so. But, but um, um, I don't think it's a battle of the sexes. I believe that we live on an incredibly unequal planet where about eight men, they happen to all be men, but about eight men um, own more of the wealth than 3.6 billion people and that is endemic that is structural that is social cultural and economic as well as civil and political uh, um, now um, can you do some things by way of legislation yes I think you can do some things by way of legislation um, law can be um, as we've seen in the past in relation to marital rape law can be a problem or law can be an empowering wonderful thing and, and, and the same is true of economics on this incredibly unequal planet guess what women and children are at the bottom of the heap in relation to exploitation um, and, and and unpaid unpaid labour. But every most people on the planet are actually not living to their full potential. But uh, I think there has been um, in in the UK anyway, uh, and, and probably in the states, a huge generational shift. And um, I think without that, I think that, that this is perhaps what you were getting at. That, that without that um, generational, without that kind of reimagining of relations between men and women you can't 
um, you, you can't uh, make those, you know, it's kind of Gramscian sort of idea that uh, you've got to, it's not just the headlines, it's not just the law that has to change people. <clears throat> people have to own that chain and they have to live according to that change. In, but of course, um, that's going to be a very difficult process well, for a lot of people. Well, if you take the but analogy, it, it takes time. Course, you know. If you take the analogy with gay rights, if you know, just just to use a, a sort of vaguely positive um, example of, 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 of a really quite um, extraordinary change within my lifetime mm. in Britain, um, if, if if you look at the the gay rights movement in Britain um, in the eighties and nineties. Um, that was a series of revolutions that happened how? They happened in people's living rooms, in the family, with people coming out to their, you know, to their parents and their siblings and their loved ones and their friends and so on. They happened on TV, in, in, in you know, shows like Brookside where you first had characters that would express their sexuality in that way. It happened on the streets with marches and demonstrations. It happened by litigation in the European Court of Human Rights. It happened in Parliament. It happened in all of these places. Um, but look at, you know, I, I'm not sure that I would have realised in my late 20s when I was a young lawyer in the Home Office beginning to work um, under a Labour government on gay equality um, legislation when it seemed so tough to get through Parliament that, that, that you know, 20 years later, I'd be sitting in a country where a conservative government had promoted same-sex marriage. So, of course, these things involve struggle, and of course, it's a complex, it's a, it's a complex menu of um, of tools and impediments that that you have. But you know, change change can happen. Progressive change can happen. I've seen it, and I've been part of it in my lifetime, and I'm still optimistic and ambitious for change. Well, men go first, you say in the books at one point, but we'll say women go last um, here and let you um, have that as the final word, um, Shami. Thank you um, uh, to Shami for coming in and also to Anne Perkins and to Samir. Shami um, was in our offices participating in our monthly prospect book club. The next one is going to be at 6.30 on the 19th of March when Pankash Mishra will be here discussing his uh, latest book. Come along! And you can also find all the details of that and all other events um, on the Prospect website. I'm Tom Clark, editor of Prospect. The producer was Jay Elwes. You can read more on the current debate around gender at uh, www.prospectmagazine.co.uk. And you might also note that our subscription rates are very reasonable. Please be sure to tune in again soon to the Prospect podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.